Hi, welcome to our How Do I Bible Study. So tonight we're going to be in the book of James, uh, chapter 2 tonight, as we've been studying through the book of James. And so as, as we um, open up your word, we're going to go ahead and read through the chapter. But before we do that, I'm going to go ahead and pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together. So Father God, uh, we thank you once again, Lord, for your word. Um, Lord, we ask tonight as you... Um, as we open up your word in James, Father, we pray that your word would go forth, um, that we would um, take your word in, Father, and that we would, um, that it would become part of us, Father, that we would, um, that it would change our lives, Father, that we would be differently than the way we came through that door, Father. I know many times we say these things, Father, but Lord, we've come tonight, Lord, that we would be transformed um, by your word. And so, Lord, we, um, we look to you, Lord, to do a, a work in each and every one of us, Father. We pray um, that you would do all of those things tonight, Father, and we pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here we go. We're going to start off in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should come... In, in a poor man in filthy clothes and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him you sit here in a good place and say to the poor man you stand there or sit here at my footstool have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts listen my beloved brethren has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You will do well. You do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak, and so, so speak, and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We're going to stop there tonight. I didn't mention that. We're going to, we're going to do uh, verses 1 through 13 tonight. And so as we've been studying through the book of James, one of the things I wanted to draw your attention to, somebody, uh, some of you came up after the study last week, and uh, I kind of was running uh, thin, which is usually my usual MO, is I was running thin on time, and I kind of read past the last couple of verses of chapter 1. And so I wanted to pick it up in chapter 25, and I just wanted to point out a couple of things. Um, and I'll, I'll go ahead and go back to 24, because I wanted to I point out a couple of things that I thought was interesting. So verse 24 of the, of the previous chapter, chapter 1, it says, For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. The previous verse, it talked about um, being a mirror, that we look into a mirror, and immediately we go away, and we forget what we look like. And this is interesting to me, as we talked about a little bit last week, that we talked about that women, you know, it, it specifically points out men, because, you know, usually we look in the mirror and we say, hmm. And we kind of go away. But women, they look in the mirror and they look for areas. And I don't know, I'm sure that many of us, as you look at your wives, and I have four daughters, and they look in the mirror, oftentimes they, it's the time that they look into the mirror, even though when they go away, they're constantly thinking how to make improvements on something that they saw in that mirror. And you see, that mirror is the Word of God for us men. And that we are to look in the Word of God, and it is to change us, conform us. Uh, and we talked a little bit about this last week, that you know, many people take their, their Bibles into church and they highlight and they, and they write in their Bibles. Um, and so they mark them up. But the reality is, the question was last week, is our Bibles marking us? And this is the reality. Is our Bible changing us? Or do we come every week? And, and you know, intellectually that I know that we take in knowledge, but is, we, we're, that knowledge doesn't change our hearts. 
You know, oftentimes they, they talked about this, and I, I've mentioned this many of times, that oftentimes that people, they say they're going to miss, you know, heaven by, you know, 18 inches, the distance between their mind and their heart. They've never allowed that all the things they knew of God in their mind, they never allowed it to penetrate their hearts. And so this is where we need to be. And so I think it's, it's powerful that we would see those things. But I wanted to share something with you about the mirror. And this comes from Pastor Chuck Smith. And I just love his story. He said there were these good old boys. And they were, I believe they were from Kentucky. And this was a, a, a story, like an old story that he was telling at the church. And these good old boys, they, they were out um, doing, like working in the field. And one of them stumbled upon something that he, didn't, he hadn't seen before. And so he went over and he picked it up and what it, what it was. And back in those days, before they actually had glass mirrors, they would polish like aluminum or steel or any kind of metal. And they would actually use them as mirrors. And so they would just polish them. Um, and so this, this thing that he found was actually a mirror. But he picked it up and he had never seen it before. So he looked at it and he said, wow, he said, these people that live over here or wherever I found this, they must have known my father because he looked into it and he said, hey, it's my father. This is what he looked into it, and he said, hey, that's my dad. And so he considered it and cherished it, and he put it in his pocket, and he took it home. And at the end of the day, he was looking around, and he was looking around for a spot to put it. And he said, I want to put it in a special place um, that it doesn't get you know, misplaced or nothing happens to it. I want Because this has a picture of my dad on it. And so he called it, cherished it. So he went around thinking about where he was going to put it. And he finally said, you know what, I'm going to put it under my pillow. And so he went into his room, and he put it under his pillow. And his wife was watching all of this, right? And so the next day as he got up and he left and he started his day, his wife was intrigued and said, well, I wonder what he considers so dear to him to be under that pillow. And so she went and she, after he left, she kind of went and she pulled it out and she picked it up and she looked into it and he says, mm, she said, mm-hmm, now I see this old hag that he's been, look, he's been thinking about, right? And it's a mirror, right? It's a mirror, right? It's this old hag that she's been looking at, right? And so she takes it and she gets rid of the mirror. But this is one of the things that we should always be reminded of what that mirror reflects. And oftentimes that mirror reflects us. It, re it reflects oftentimes our wicked hearts. And this is the word of God that it reflects our wicked hearts at times. But, you know, this is the reason why Jesus Christ came. He came to change our hearts, to renew us, to make us anew. And, and if we give our lives to Christ, all things have been made new. Did you have something to explain? Yeah, I was actually uh, going over this on one of my uh, other studies yes. where I hit this. Yes. And um, this was a few days ago, I think, uh, but it's, it just kind of got me because I started thinking about it a little bit different way. I had, I had seen that before where it says you look in the mirror and then you walk away and I'm thinking, forget what kind of man you are. But then I thought about it that, you know, when you look in the mirror, you're like, oh, my hair's out of place and you kind of comb it. Yeah, I got this stuff here. You know, I got this stuff here or whatever. And I thought about the word is adjustingness, fixingness, convictingness, moldiness, yeah. shapingness. So I thought, oh, that's big. That's it. Because if I don't have a mirror, you know, I'm going, how do I look? I don't know or something, you know? That's right. So I was thinking about that. Oh, the word is kind of shaping me and molding me and adjusting me and fixing me. So. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's powerful, yes. Yes, very good, Jerry. I love that. Yes, I love that. <clears throat> So we'll, we'll just pick it up here in the very last. And so in verse 25, it says, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, um, this one will be blessed in what he does. And we're going to see a little bit of uh, this in, in, in verse 2. And so I won't get real deep into this one. But um, this is just meaning that allowing the word of God to change us, to mold us, as Jerry spoke about. So here in verse 26, it says, If anyone of you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And so if it spoke about religion here, and I know many of us, as we hear, as, as we become followers of Christ, when we hear the word religion, oftentimes when I hear the word religion, and you know, as, as I told many of you that I, I filed for a religious exemption at, at, in the workplace, and it's just to me, it's difficult because I feel that we don't belong to a religion. We have a relationship with Christ. And, and you know, even though that, that religion, uh, Christianity is listed as one of the worldly religions, it is listed that our that our the, the Christianity what we have is way different than anything in the world because every other religion is man's attempt to reach God. But Christianity is that we know that we have a relationship with God. And it is not by our good works, it is not by works, it is by the grace of God. Right? And we see that. And so this is the reason why Christianity is so different, um, as it spoke about religion there, but it's speaking about people that are godly, um, this word that he points out. But it says that if we don't speak 
uh, out of our tongue that we, uh, it tells a lot about us, that where, where we are in our walk, that it should reflect Christ the way we speak to others. It should reflect them. And so really quickly, 27, it says, Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. I know many of you here tonight, um, you went this past Saturday and you went and actually did what this verse said. You went and visited orphans. Um, and, and, and some of you have brought back these amazing stories of Mexico that they went into uh, uh, orphanages and they went and saw the amazing children down in Mexico. But I know many of you um, also, um, you have a heart. And, you know, one of the times I, I remember before I used to go to Mexico, I always wanted to be involved and try to get involved some, some way, somehow. And sometimes work, I used to have to work on Saturday a lot and all these different things. But as a believer, one of the things that if many of you come here tonight, and Paul put it on the list last week, that we can pray for the people that go down in any kind of ministry that we can pray. And I know a lot of times that some of you, like, if, if we truly believe in, and I believe in the power of prayer, that there is, there is situations, I believe, in heaven when we are going to see later on when we get to heaven, that there are situations that the Lord uh, veered us around because of your prayers, of everybody was praying for situations that are going on down in Mexico. And so I'm a firm believer of that. And so we need to continue to lift them up in prayer. Um, one of the last things that it said here, um, that keep uh, oneself unspotted from the world. Um, I like the way the, the New Living Translation put it. It says, refuse um, to let the world um, uh, com uh, condemn us or, or to let, <laughs> let the world change us. And so we are to be changed by the word of God. And so before we get into the word of J uh, book of James tonight, I, I wanted to share something with you, and I don't want to make it too lengthy tonight, but one of the things I, I wanted to share with you, there was a man who came into a church, and, and this is, uh, he's coming into church, and he's, he's walking, he's going into the church in the beginning, he, he's looking at the exterior, and he said, this is a beautiful church, and as he walks in, he sees a couple of ushers standing up in the front of the church, and he said, wow, this is a magnificent church, and he's getting ready to walk through the doors, He's starting to notice, later on he admits that nobody has greeted him as he's coming into the church. Nobody's greeted him. And so he says he's walking by, and so he goes over and he sees another bunch of ushers grouped up together, and they're handing out people, uh, uh, actually uh, booklets, and they're handing out things that are part of the sermon that they're going to uh, preach on that day. And so they're, they're handing them out, and he kind of walks in that aisle, but for whatever reason, as he gets to the aisle, nobody looks at him, so he kind of walks into the door, and he makes his way into the church, and he's in the church, and he, nobody is spoken to him, and he's walking down the church, and he sits in the third row from the front, and he sits down, and he has a seat. The uh, person who's given the announcements for the church that particular day, he's given the announcement, is starting to announce that the church is actually going to do the worship, and they're going to, the next thing they're going to do, they're going to go to prayer time. And so he's listening to all this. And later on, he admits that the worship and the prayer were amazing. But one of the things that I want to draw your attention to, it's, it's the uh, speaker started to say that the pastor was away on a missionary trip. And that he had had a guest speaker that was there that was coming to speak that day. for, And he just said that he didn't know the message that he was going to deliver. And so he said he announced his name and they asked him to come up. And what's interesting about this story um, is that, that many of the people in the congregation, there was a man sitting in the front row with a three-piece suit on, and he had a Bible in his hand, and, he would, and as they asked him to come up and pray, and the, and the speaker left the podium, the, 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 all the eyes of the church turned on this man with a three-piece suit because they hadn't seen him before, and so they said, oh, this must be the guest pastor. And so as they saw him there praying, they said, hey, let, let me give him some time. He's probably praying to the Lord before he takes the podium. But to their surprise, the man in the third row, who nobody had acknowledged, got up and got to the podium and said, we're going to tonight open up your Bibles. And he tells the congregation, open up your Bibles. We're going to teach today on James chapter 2, which is the study of partiality that we are not to just, you know, esteem other people higher than others simply by what they're dressed or by their attire. And I just thought it was powerful that we see that. But, you know, the, the book of James, one of the things as we've been studying through the book of James, uh, it was written to Jews that were part of the diaspora, the people that were dispersed all over the known world of that time because of persecution. And we see that James is trying to reach those people. And so this is the, the letter that he's writing to, and he's trying to mature um, the people of God, and he's trying to make them more mature. Um, one of the things that I, that I loved about the, the book of James is um, some of the things that people had said about the book of James. Um, the mighty Martin Luther, um, he said that the book of James was a letter of straw. 
He said that it was a letter of triumph. And we talked about this briefly, that some of the things of the works and other people that would debate uh, and, and have uh, discussions with Martin, the great Martin Luther would use the book of James against him. And this is the reason why he had such a feeling about the book of James. But I believe later on in life, he I, I'm reading a book about Martin Luther and his thoughts of the book of James. And this is the reason why I bring this up. But some of the commentators said that there, one of the things, too, that really stands out in the book of James, that Jesus Christ, out of uh, 108 verses, five chapters, he's only mentioned twice. And it's in James 1.1, and we're going to see it tonight in James 2, uh, verse 1. And we're going to see Jesus Christ is only mentioned twice. Uh, but it reminded me, as, as Ray Lynn came up to take the podium at the church at the Packingham, she mentioned about having the women study. One of the things that I thought was interesting that they were going to go into the book of Esther um, for the women. We're going to go into the book of Esther. And if you've ever studied the book of Esther, one of the things that's so powerful that God's name is not mentioned in any part of the book of Esther. It's not mentioned at all. But I wanted to share something with you that many of us tonight and maybe even tonight on the way here, um, you, well, many of us drive down the 10 freeway and many of you have been on the 210 10 interchange. And as we're driving down that freeway, many of us, we see the, the, the concrete right of the freeway. We see the guardrail. We see the reflectors. We see the paint. But what we fail to see or what we don't see, we don't see the hundreds or even thousands of miles of rebar and steel that are underneath holding up the structure that we, that we drive on each and every day. But because we don't see those things, that we don't see the steel, it doesn't mean that they're not there. They are there. And this is the thing about the word of God in the book of James. Because he's only mentioned twice, it doesn't mean that God is not in the word of God. And the same thing in the book of Esther, he is there. And just like uh, in the freeway, he's doing all the heavy lifting. He's doing everything. And the things that we need to be reminded of constantly, they're reminded that the things that are seen are temporary. And the things that are unseen are eternal. And so this is, as we get into the book of James, I, I think it's going to be powerful here, this uh, verse. I, I got a lot here tonight, and so I'll kind of go through it here. And so here we go in verse 1. It says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, um, the Lord of glory, with partiality. And so we see, uh, first of all, I wanted to point out that they refer to Jesus Christ of the Lord of glory. Only one other place in the New Testament, it's in 1 Corinthians 2.8. Is the only other place that they refer to him as the Lord of glory. In the Old Testament, they used to refer to him as the Shekinah glory of God. Um, and this, I just thought it was interesting because it's another reference of Jesus is God. And we see that there. And I love pointing out um, these things. And so here really quick, um, speaking about um, his partiality. And you know, partiality is favoritism. Um, and, and I think many of us as Christians... Um, often when I was reading this, I think as us as brothers and sisters in Christ, um, we, we, last week as we were talking about sin and we were talking about uh, being drawn away from the things of God and being tempted um, by the enemy, uh, we're all familiar with that kind of sin, but we, we're not real familiar with partiality or favoritism as being sin because oftentimes, um, we, I think the reason why we don't think about it is because really I think many of us do it quite often. And, and, and so, you know, as I've been convicted by this chapter this this week, I, I feel like that. I, I feel it's a, it's only right that each and every one of us should be convicted by the same things because I think that so many of us um, that we partiality is part of our many of our lives without even realizing it. But let's um, let's let's see what else the the Lord has. One of the things uh, partiality, really quick, I just want to point out. Um, it says here, um, as God is is no respecter of person, He treats us all equally. Um, and, and it says here, um, this partiality, it says in, in the Greek, it says to view one um, account according to the face that, as we see them. Um, in today's word, we would say uh, that we are judging a book by its cover. Um, and so many a times, many of us have heard that. And so um, he's going to give us an example here in verse two. And so let's see what verse two has for us. So it says in verse two, it says for there, if there should come into your assembly, a man with gold rings and fine apparel. And there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And so uh, the writer of James here, James is actually um, putting out an example here. We're going to see a little bit more about it. But what I thought um, that we could draw from this or glean from this tonight is um, these two men came into the church, right? And we see one with gold rings. And we see that as I was studying this, we see that not too many things have changed um, 2,000 years ago. Because these men, they knew that they would be respected more if they showed that they were wealthy. 
And so one of the things that rings were one of the things that they would show people that they were through their wealth. And so in those days, they could go out and they could rent uh, rings to come to different places. And so you could have people look at you and maybe treat you a lot better because you had these rings on your finger. And we see in 2,000 years, not too much has changed because there is a website today uh, that is called Turo. It's T-U-R-O. And many of you, I, I shouldn't probably be telling you this, um, but this particular website, Turo, T-U-R-O, you can actually rent just about any car that you want. You could actually rent it instead of actually buying it. You could buy a McLaren F1. You, you could rent a McLaren F1. You could uh, a Ferrari Enzo. You can rent just about anything. And so not much has changed. So people want, you know, people know today that if you are in that status, that people treat you differently uh, than the, the way that they treat you today. I know many of you are looking around at me. You're looking at me like, wow, I'm going to check it out and stuff and see if yeah, I can yeah, yeah, yeah. check it out and see what I can rent on there. I probably shouldn't be telling you guys that your wives, you know, yeah, your wives are going to come after me. But yeah, I shouldn't be telling you this. Wouldn't know how you feel about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> there. Yeah, I know. You so, can rent tuxedos and wedding dresses too. Yes, you can rent just about anything. Yeah, I mean, many of us do. We do rent. Uh, many of us do rent tuxedos for for weddings. Uh, but what's so crazy about that? Um, I recently went to a wedding, and the price—I don't know—the price that they charge to rent a tux. God, I don't know what they cost nowadays. But man, the price they charge to rent them is pretty high too. I was like, wow, I think I could have bought the whole suit. This is expensive. Uh, but it's amazing. Um, so one of the things uh, that we see here that we see that the, the difference that they're going to treat them a little differently. You're going to point it out. But this always reminds me of Luke 16, um, 19 through 31. Um, and we remember the rich man and Lazarus. We're all familiar with the story, but only a couple of things that I wanted to point out of this story. And in the book of Luke, um, we see that in the, the, the rich man and Lazarus. But we see something in the word of God that, that God esteemed Lazarus. We see, and this is, many people say that this is a parable, but Jesus never used people's names in parables. So this is, they believe, many commentators expositors believe that this is a true story. Um, that this Lazarus, and remember he was Lazarus the beggar. And we see that in God's economy that we know the name of the beggar, but the rich man, we're never told his name, he's just the rich man. So we see in God's economy, things are different when they get on the other side, because we see in real life, those men traded places because when they died, they say the rich man died. But when Lazarus, the beggar died, he said that the angels carried him away. And so we see that things are changed. But we wanted to point out something that many people think, take this, this particular story and they think it had something to do with his wealth. It had nothing to do with his wealth. When it has something to do with what they're talking about tonight, his partiality, which God has called each and every one of us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And one of the things I want you to see in that story of Lazarus, that this man that sat at his doorstep all those years as he was wealthy. And I'm sure you can imagine if we were all wealthy, that we would say, hey, my life would be great if it wasn't for this beggar that was sitting on my porch all the time. Right. If you were wealthy, this would be your thought. But many of us, God put that man on the porch. To see what what the rich man's heart would be, to see the heart of the man, to see that if he would be changed. And so, as he came, and we all know the story, as he came to the end, that he actually asked that the beggar would come and dip his tongue, his finger in in water, and tip touch his tongue with it. And you can imagine how the the beggar's hands would look like. And it would be similar today that the way we look at homeless people. And you can imagine that he was such torment in where he was at in Hades that he wanted this beggar to dip his finger in water and put it on the tip of his tongue because he was in torment. And so we see that. And so it was a position of his heart, not that his neighbor that he loved. And so I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, I'll get going here after the next verse. But I wanted to share another story with you tonight. These stories are just coming out everywhere. Um, this other, this pastor, um, Jim Symbol, and if many of you are familiar with his books, he's an author. Um, he wrote a very famous book, uh, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Um, he's an amazing writer, but he's also a pastor of the, of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. Um, he wrote a, a story about a, a man coming into his church. And this is very similar to the first story. And this is the reason why I'm bringing it up. After the, uh, the sermon, and the sermon was already closed, uh, many times he would stay up at the podium and people would come up and ask for prayer or ask for things. This is pretty common. And so as he had given the, the, uh, the sermon that particular day, he said there was a man coming down the aisle. And he said the man was still at a distance. And he said he could start to smell urine. He said he started, the wind was blowing and the doors were open of the church and he started to get a whiff of urine. And it wasn't too much that the man was coming closer to him, he started to get a whiff of feces 
that this man, and the more he looked at him, he could see that his face was all in disarray, his curls were all ripped up, and yes, this man is, it was in, in despair. He was coming, and he could see them. And so this Jim Symbol, he, as the pastor, he started to go into his wallet, and he went into his wallet, and, and this oftentimes happened that people would come up and ask the pastor for something, and I love the what Pastor Ed says, you know, oftentimes Pastor Ed, he says that, you guys don't see it, but I have this invisible S under my shirt, and he said, it's not for Superman, it's for sucker, because people come, you know, and it has this invisible S underneath his shirt, but just like Jim, he would, uh, Pastor, he would come, and this man was coming, and as he opened up his wallet, and he said, as this man started to speak, he said he was close enough that he said he could smell the rotting of his teeth and Jim said that reluctantly that he turned his head because the the smell was starting to turn his stomach a little bit and he started to turn his face and the man said to him he said he said pastor I don't want your money I don't want your money I want that Jesus that you've been talking about tonight this is what I've come for and so I, I think it's interesting that Jim says at that time he said this verse came to him from Luke, Luke 19 10 he says the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so, I, I love this. He said to the, to the man, he, he says to him, he says to the man, uh, to save what you lost, the Lord said to him, Jim, in your ministry, is he, the Lord, he said the Lord said to him, Jim, if your ministry is going to grow, if your ministry is going to grow, you need to learn how to love that smell. You need to embrace that smell. Because I sent my son to die on a cross for people that have that smell. And we can see that Jimson Bell today is a, his, the, the Brooklyn Tabernacle is a huge church today, but he said it's because he was moved with compassion and didn't look at people from that point far, forward in any kind of difference by the way that they their clothing, the way they look, the way they came in. And I think many of us, I know many of us, we, we have, all have prejudices. And as I was reading this, uh, oftentimes I say, well, I don't have any prejudice. And oftentimes we think prejudice has something to do with skin color. We think it has something to do with skin color. We think it's like we don't like people because, but in the church itself, we have cliques inside the church. And there's many of us, people say, hey, we can see other Christians, but they're different than us. And so we, can, we look at people and we say, hey, if they're not just like us, then we don't want anything to do with them. And we, and we oust them and we treat them differently. But this is what the book of James is talking about. We are to treat people with the love of Christ, no matter what, what, what they believe in. And, and this really spoke to me because I, I need to start embracing people that drive Fords. I, I need to start embracing <laughs> them instead of actually treating them differently. And this is one of the things that, I, that, you know, that really spoke to me this week. Um, it's interesting, I'll share this last thing with you, uh, a boxer at that time, Floyd Patterson, this was way back when, they were interviewing him and they asked him a question. They said, Floyd, they said the new heavyweight champion at that time was Mike Tyson. And they said, if you, had, if you could say anything to him, what would you say to him? And he thought about it for a second. He said, you know what I, I would say to him? He said, I would say, Mike, go back, go back to before you were champion of the world, the time that you ate out of garbage cans and you had nothing and you dreamed about being the heavyweight champion of the world, never forget where you came from. And that's the thing for us as, as believers in Christ, we should never forget where God has brought us out of. And, and me personally, I'll just share this with you in my life, that the man with the feces, and I know many of us, we think in our, in our heart, we think, hey, the, I never smelled that, like that or I never, I never got down that low, I never went down that low. And I tell my Lord, hey, Lord, at least I never went down that low. And he said, yes, Mike, I know you did. You were worse. Because there was areas of my life that we look at and we think visually that we can see people and that we think we can see all oh, those people are worse than us. But what they, what they don't see is they don't see the things of the heart. But God sees the things of the heart. And this is the thing that we need to be reminded of, that people that are different than us in the church, outside the church, Democrat, Republican, we need to embrace them. We're never going to reach them for Christ by treating them differently, by ousting them. And this is what the word is speaking about here. Um, and I think it's powerful. So we pick up in verse 3 and it says, And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, You sit here in a good place and say to the poor man, You stand there and sit at my footstool. In the first century synagogues, um, they would actually sit seats. They would have three or four rows in the front. And then they would put the seats all around the outer edge of the synagogue. And in the middle, there would be an area that would just be an open area. And so people would either stand there or they could sit on the floor. 
And this is what it is speaking about here, that people would come and would find apparel, and somehow, some way, the people of the church would find them a seat, if it was in the front or along the back wall. But the people that came in and they looked shabby and they looked like people that didn't, weren't very wealthy, they would say, oh, you can, you can stand right here in the middle, or you can either sit on the floor. And this is what it's speaking about, that they're treating them differently. And I want you to know that the book of God, does, or the word of God does not say that it was wrong for them to treat the people and find them a seat. It wasn't wrong. But what was wrong is they treated the poor person differently. They were there to esteem. We are all to esteem each other, everyone the same. And so if we can find a seat for the rich person, we should be able to find a seat for the poor person as well. And many of us, like you said, that we should look for those opportunities to sit the poor person right next to the rich person. Because you, as, the, as we break down things and we put people in boxes, but the thing that we don't understand is that many times that the, the, the more different we think people are, when we put those people together, we start realizing that we're, we're the same. We're the same. It's the enemy that separates us in, in different ways. And it, change, and it change, needs to change our heart. We start to see others in a different light. So here in uh, verse 6, it says, are we in verse 6? Am I getting ahead of myself? Four. Four, I'm sorry. Wow. Four. Yeah. Four. I'm way, way, way up yeah. there. It says, have you not shown partiality among yourselves? And become judges uh, with evil thoughts. And it, spoke, it speaks out here um, as we become judges of evil thoughts. One of the things um, why it says the evil thoughts, that some oftentimes when we esteem people with wealth higher than others, that we do it for selfish desire. We treat them better because we say, hey, this guy's a business owner. This guy's the owner of a company. This guy's a rich man. Maybe he'll tip me on the way out. Maybe he'll do it. You're, you're always constantly looking for yourself. This, you're always constantly look. This is the reason why. And you look at the poor person. You say he can't do anything for me. So you say, well, if he gets the worst seat in the house, who cares, right? Mm -hmm. But no, the Word of God says that we are to esteem them equally. You know, it's interesting. There at the packing house, if you've ever been upstairs on the third floor, I oftentimes I chuckle because there's some beautiful pictures there, and there's actually pictures of the tomb uh, in Israel on the walls. And what intrigues me is I watch people as they go down and they're looking at the pictures. Um, I would oftentimes go in there, a couple of my daughters worked in the church, and so I would go in there to visit them, and I would see people in there looking at the pictures, but they were always drawn to this one picture. I, they were always drawn to it, and I was always intrigued by that, that people will go, and they'll spend a few minutes looking at Jesus' tomb, and there's some other beautiful pictures of Israel, but they'll go around the corner, and there's one picture hanging on the wall, and this picture, I want to tell you what it is. It's of the packing house, and they're having a concert, and it's a picture, an aer kind of an aerial view of everybody in the audience. It's not of anybody in the stage. It's just everybody in the audience. And that, that, that picture, everybody stands and they, they gaze at that picture for quite some time. And the reason why is because a lot of us go to the packing house. And what we're doing in that picture, we're looking for ourselves in that picture, mm -hmm. which is so amazing. And so this is the reason why the Word of God says that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. You know, it's funny that nobody ever questions God and said, hey, well, I don't love myself. Because God knows and we know in our heart that we do love ourselves. We love ourselves. And so I just thought it was, I thought it was interesting that we see um, some of those things. So here in verse 5 it says, Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? One of the things that in this is we see that has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? And remember that people that normally don't have a whole lot, they're constantly dependent upon God for everything. Oftentimes, that I remember as a young person that oftentimes I had a, a younger brother and, and my, my, my mother didn't have a whole lot of money. My dad was out working, but they didn't have a lot of money. And I remember oftentimes that my mother would pray for that she would have enough, find enough money or get enough money to buy a can of carnation milk. To actually go and at those times and those days I think it was like 23 cents or something that we were trying to gather everywhere we'd go out into the car and we would go through the seats and we would find pennies and we'd find them we were so excited when we found a dime boy a dime was like oof, we're, we're, we're coming up in the world but I just always oftentimes the people that are poor they're often dependent upon God and I love the way that it points it out in this verse that it says that they are rich in faith because they're constantly looking to the Lord dependent upon the Lord and looking to the Lord's blessing each morning but people that oftentimes are wealthy, they become dependent on their wealth. And this is the reason why. But there is people that are wealthy. We, we know Job in the Bible. He was very wealthy, but he was dependent upon God. Well, wealth, wealth doesn't, does, God loves wealth. But remember what the Bible says. It is the love of money is the root of all evil, right? The love of it. And so there's many people that are wealthy, but they don't love money. Hey, Mike. Go ahead, Paul. Uh, 
I just have a little tidbit um, that I can relate to that I want to share was that it's not necessarily just the poor man, the rich man. It's also the young people that come to your door and knock on your door. And they have white shirts and ties and they ride a bicycle. And right away, a lot of us say, oh, they'll never be a born-again Christian. I happen to to know that my wife um, heard from the Lord and said to her said no one is praying for Paul that's me and I was a Mormon and if to look on the outside of me with my white shirt and tie and um, there's lots and lots of people that said he'll never be born again Christian. I, I sit here today and say, yeah, the Lord saved me from the pit of hell because that's where I was heading. And I, I bring that up is that you, you can't look at people and say, this person will be saved, this person can't be saved, or this person has too many tattoos, this person, this person is whatever it is. God, God died on the cross for the whole world. And the only thing that separates any of them from being all being saved is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. Yeah. I, I love what you, you brought up tonight, Paul, because this is one of the things that I think that is, is uh, many of us that are struggle with is, is people look differently. You talked about people with tattoos, but there's people that come in with dyed hair. There's people that come into the church with all different, you know, different walks of life, but we need to esteem them equally as we esteem others. And, and as Paul said, as we pray for people, and he's talked about in the Mormon, and, and it reminded me of Bill here as his son, as he spoke about his son, but one of the things is that we see that, that the word of God can penetrate any heart. If the person with a heart who says, if you seek me, if, you, if I knock at the door, if I knock at the door, and if you allow me to come in, I will come in and I will dine with you. And this is the difference with Paul, that he came in those, in that time, in that quiet time, he came in and he let the Lord dine with him. But we should look at each and every person. We should never, like you said, look at somebody that comes in a Mormon or Jehovah Witness or whatever they are. We should never uh, look at them and say, oh, there's no talking to them, there, there's no changing them. We cannot change them by never speaking to them, by never having an interaction with them. And it doesn't have to be a, a conversation about the Lord. We, that's how we, we just have, a lot of us have business uh, relationship with people. And later on we come to find out, hey, this person is a Jehovah Witness. But we can see good qualities in this person. And we're saying, wow, if they come to know Christ, we're going to be eternally saved for the, for the kingdom of heaven. And so we need to constantly look at those people in that way. Um, so here in um, verse uh, 6, uh, it says, but you have dishonored the poor man. Um, do not the rich oppress and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? And so we, we see the dishonor of the poor man. And the, the, they dishonored him um, because they did not esteem him as same as the rich man. Um, but one of the things that I, I love about this is that we remember that um, in the book of First uh, Samuel, that when um, it was actually, it was the Lord had told Samuel that Saul was no longer going to be the king. And he told him, I want you to go to the to the house of Jesse, and he has some sons, and I want you, he's going to bring his sons before you, and I'm going to tell you, point out which one is going to be the new king of Israel. And I love this because this comes from uh, 1 Samuel uh, 16, verse 7, and it says that as he was looking at the first son that came, the oldest son, his name was Eliab. His oldest son came, and Samuel the prophet looked at him and said, if anybody should be a king, it should be this man, because he is a mighty man, tall, handsome, good-looking, taller than everybody. This is him. And the Lord spoke to Samuel in that moment. He said that man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Looks at the heart. And so we see that he went through all of his sons, and he said, "There's got to be, there's got to be someone else," because it said it came from here. And they said, "Yeah, I love this because he said that. Oh yeah, there's a, there's somebody who's not, not fit to be a king. He's a little shepherd boy. He's out at the shepherd's still. We didn't even bring him because we didn't think he was worthy." And he says, "Go and bring him, and we'll wait." And they brought him, and this is, and they, and they pointed him out and said that he was ruddy and good looking. And they said, "The Lord said, that's him, that's him." 
And what I love about that story, too, is that we see that he anointed him to be the new king of Israel and a dynasty that would come, that he would be in the line of Jesus Christ. And he gave him that position before there was ever a position even open. And, and I say that because I think many of us, I think at many times in our lives, we'll say, Lord, there's no way that this can happen because this person's in that position. It doesn't mean that the Lord can appoint somebody already that's going to take that position. Because I think many of us, with the election and all the things that are going on, we say, oh, how is this all going to happen, Lord? This person's still in that position. We don't know the future. We don't know the future. God does. And so we need to always be encouraged what's coming up ahead. So here in verse 7, it says, oh, I'm sorry, we are in verse 8. And it says, if you um, really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Um, this, this verse right here comes up from Leviticus 19.18, um, and it is the uh, Old Testament. And the, uh, many of you are probably more familiar, um, because we're more familiar with the New Testament, Matthew 22.31, um, that it says that we are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. And I love this because as we point this out, that he only pointed out that we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. And remember what Jesus said. He said, on these two commandments that you can hang the whole law on these two, right? Love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? These two things. And, and I love this because he, the reason why he didn't point out the first part of God is because of what First uh, John 4, 20 says. It says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And so by loving our neighbor, it says a lot about our walk with Christ. And, and you know, I, I want to tell you that about your neighbor, because remember that in the parable that he said, remember that what the Pharisee said, he said, who is my neighbor? And so he thought it was something geographically that, oh, that must mean the person that, that's living right next door to me or the person that, that works across the street from me or somebody that's close to me. Uh, and, and we remember what the Bible said, our neighbor is anybody because there is people in the world, if, if you know somebody that is saved and knows the word, has the Lord in them, that we are to love those people because they have the love of Christ indwelling, living in them, right? We are to love them for that reason. And if there is people in the world that are lost and don't know Christ, we are to love them also. But the reason that we are to have a love for them is because God sent his son to die on a cross for them. For them, while they were yet sinners, Christ died for them. And we are to love them because they are of immeasurable value because God sent his son to die on a cross for the lost. He sent the, the, the people to die for the lost. And so we are to embrace them uh, also. Hey, Mike. Go ahead, Chris. I, I've told this story to a number of guys, but Dennis Prayer is a radio talk show host. Uh, probably some of you will listen to him. And years ago, he was uh, interviewing a Muslim man who had uh, become a Christian. And um, it was a very interesting article about his life and the things that had happened to him. But at the end of the interview, Dennis says to the guy, as he's wrapping it up, he says, so, so what was the thing? What was, here you come from this completely opposite uh, look at life to give your life to Christianity. He said, what? What did it? And his answer was, he said, I finally realized that if God was not a God of love, then he can't be God. <laughs> and it was really simple. It's like, and that is the difference between uh, many other religions. Yes. That the focus with God is on love. Yeah. That his love for us and our love for us yes. and our love for him and our love for each other. Yeah. And that's yes. Yeah. And that's what the Word of God says, you know, we're to love others as, as He has loved us, you know, yeah. and so that, that is the, the most important. Yes, God is love, yes. So, thank you for that, Chris. Here in verse 9 it says, But if you show partiality, you commit sin, and are convicted by the law uh, as transgressors. And like I said earlier in, in the beginning of the study, I said many of us, we think as partiality, that we don't think of it as sin, because we think like, hey, you know, we're, we're not really doing anything wrong. Nobody really even knows that I'm esteeming somebody. And a lot of us, I, I know this, this study tonight is over wealth. But a lot of, oftentimes it is over other things. <laughs> it is, hey, this guy is a, this guy is a, 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 a what is it? He's, he's a carpenter. 
hey, I, I, you know, I might need some something down the road. Maybe I might need this carpenter. So I'm going to steam this carpenter more than I'm going to steam the janitor. Because you're like, hey, well, actually, my wife does all the cleaning, so I don't really like, need, need, all the, need all the help. I need, need, right? I can use the carpenter. And so we esteem the carpenter more than the janitor. And those things shouldn't be. We should treat them uh, equally. One of the things I, I, some of you know that I recently have only been in my company that I worked for for three years. And I remember one time I was working out at, at the corporate office. And there's this man that came out, and everybody in the corporate office, of course, wears suit and tie. Everybody dresses the same, right? So he comes out suit and tie. Later on, the, the director of my department, the man came, and he was talking to me. And so we were talking, just small talk, whatever, and we were having a little conversation and telling praise, uh, you know, praise God and, and have a blessed day, whatever. He kind of goes and leaves. And then the director of my department goes, hey, do you know that you were talking to, like, the, the CEO of the company? He's just, he's just a guy, he's just, you know, just talking, you know, it's like, I don't think we should esteem people with titles either, that's another thing that I think is big, that we look at people and we think, wow, we need to act differently with this guy because he's so important, but the guy that comes and he's just a regular guy that works in the maintenance department, we need, we, we act differently with him, we should, we should esteem him the same, we should esteem him the same, no differently, and this is, you know, and I think that those relationships, it has, it shows a lot where our walk is, is with Christ, when we look at others, and this is, this has really convicted me this week. And all these things that we see in the Word of God here, it's really convicted me this week. Um, and so here in verse 10 it says, Forever shall keep the whole law, and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. And so when it says here that uh, to keep the whole law, we know that it is impossible to keep the whole law, that there's no one that can do it, there's no one who has done it. Um, the only one is God himself, and that is Jesus Christ. And so we see that. And this reminded me of uh, a rock. If many of us are car guys. And so if we throw a rock as hard as we can into a windshield, um, even though that that rock only hits one spot, it affects the whole windshield because it spiderwebs the whole thing and that spiderweb. And so is it affected by that? And that's the same thing as one sin. The whole thing is affected by that one sin, that one shattering. And the same thing as we throw a stone into a, a pond, right? That ripple effect, the whole, that, that whole ripple goes through the whole pond. And we can't, we can't, you know, as we throw it in there and we commit that one, we can't have it stop. But the, the thing that we can do is we can say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. And he stops that ripple effect that instant. He stops that ripple and he renews us like that windshield had never been broken. That windshield is clear as it's ever been before and it is made new. Christ, we become new in Christ. We are a new creation. And so we need to see that. And so here in verse 11 it says, For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you, um, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Now these two verses that he points out here, come from Exodus um, 20, um, chapter 20, verse 13, and chapter 14. And this is um, commandment number six and commandment number seven, right? Thou shalt not murder, um, and you shall not commit adultery. And I, I know many of us in this room, we probably look around at each other and it says, I don't know why the word of God says these things. I've never murdered anybody, and I've never committed adultery. Uh, but we need to be reminded of some things that 1 John 3.15 says, that whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And when it points out your brother, it doesn't mean your brother. It means any uh, man or woman that you esteem. If we have looked at them with hatred, that we have already committed murder in our heart. And, and as I was reading this and being convicted of this, I said, you know what, Lord? I'm guilty of that. Guilty, Lord. Guilty of hating others. Um, and one of the other things is Matthew 5.28. It says, whoever looks at a woman to lust has committed adultery in his heart. And so, like, we see that these commandments, so I, I think that it's interesting that he points these out, um, that we are all, have a potential, um, and, I, and I think that, um, you know, as, as we, uh, many of us, I'm not involved in the whole story, my daughters have been following this story about the girl that was in Utah, and that, the guy that they've been on, that manhunt, they got Dog the Bounty Hunter, and the whole people are all looking for it. I think many of us look for, like, somebody like this guy, and we, we look at him, and we see him on the news, or we see a picture of him, and we all look at him and say, God, you know, this guy, how can he do something like this? How, how, how low do you stoop to be like this? But each and every one of us all have that potential in our heart. And I know many of us look at it and we say, no, 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 there's nothing. There's no way that I could ever be like that way. But the, the heart is deceitfully wicked. The heart is deceitfully wicked. I know that many of us never want to be in that kind of position. But the, the thing that we don't know, that people that don't know God, the people that don't know God, those are people that can be drawn away by the enemy very easily. Very easily because they don't have, they don't know God. And, and we just thank God that the Lord came and intervened in our lives and changed our lives. Um, that we don't go down those paths. 
And so here in um, verse 12, it says, So speak and so do as those who will uh, be judged by the law of liberty. I love the way the NLT says it. I think it's a little clearer. And this is from the NLT, the same exact verse. It says, So whenever you speak or, or whenever you speak or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law of love. The law that sets you free. And this is what I said it would come up again. And this is James 1.25, which we covered um, earlier this, this, uh, at the study. It says, but he who um, looks into the perfect law of liberty uh, and continues in it, uh, and he is um, not a forgetful hearer, but a doer, um, this one will be blessed in all he does. And so this law of liberty that it speaks about here, this is a law of love. And this is, as Chris pointed out, God is love. And this is what God is calling us to love others and not to esteem others higher for simply by the way they look. So here, last verse, and it says, verse 13, it says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who has uh, shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Also here it says, uh, For there will be no mercy for you if you have not uh, been merciful to others. But if you have been merciful then God's mercy toward you will win out over his judgment against you. And so we see that the love of Christ, that um, as we show mercy, and we are, we are thankful to the Lord each and every day, which his mercies are made new every, each and every day for each and every one of us. Amen? Amen. Father God, we, we thank you once again, Lord, um, for your study through the book of James, Father. Um, Lord, we ask, um, Lord, tonight, Lord, um, may you convict us um, in the areas as your word did tonight, Lord. May you convict us in the areas that we need to um, change, to be changed in, Lord. Um, Lord, we ask also, Lord, that we may uh, also, Lord, that we may be a light um, to others, Lord. May we um, continue to walk uh, in your love um, throughout um, all this world, Father, in whatever area we go into, Father, and help us, Father, to not esteem anyone higher than others, Father. We, we need to look at others through your eyes, Father. And that is our prayer tonight, Father. We, we praise you and we love you, Father, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Thank you. Thank you.